0: Hello and welcome to Health to Wealth, a series by Accor. I'm Annie Hood. This is the podcast that shows you how well-being touches every part of your life.
1: What we teamed up with is bring technology like we do, robotics, haptics, human touch technologies, virtual reality, and try to merge this with experience from the well-being, wellness and meditation field.
0: Olaf Blanke is one of the world's foremost neuroscientists working at the intersection of the mind and the body. He investigates the fact that your consciousness can be directed by stimulating the nervous system in different ways. What does that mean? Well, Olaf's work involves human touch technology, otherwise known as haptic technology, and virtual reality. Both of these technologies can be used to create embodied virtual reality. So you've got a VR headset on and you see yourself as though you're in your own body in that virtual reality, but it also feels like your body is there too. What does that mean for well-being? In this episode of Health to Wealth, you'll find out. Olaf and his team have been taking some of the knowledge gained from their experiments to accelerate the benefits of meditation through similar technology too. I'm talking about making it feel like you've been meditating for an hour when it's only been 15 minutes. And you'll find out more about how that works very soon. But first, Olaf, tell me, what does all this mean for that famous philosophical statement from Descartes, I think, therefore I am.
1: Cogito ergo sum. I think therefore I am. I think one of the greatnesses of this statement is that it links the being with cognition or thinking. So something that is subjective, um, a felt experience, the zoom with, uh, with the cogito, which is the field I'm working in, cognitive neuroscience. So how do I think? How do I remember? How do I speak? What are those mechanisms involved in the brain? So where do we stand today, uh, four centuries later? I think his intuition, and based on a lot of philosophy work, is still very true. I think if you look today how people study the self, it's really the cognitive self that we have in mind and that we're thinking about, the extended self, not necessarily the self here and now, but the extended self. Who was I yesterday? What was my interaction with you, let's say, a couple of months ago? How do I speak about myself? So these are aspects of the cognitive self. Most of my colleagues would think it is a very important part to understand the self very deeply, and that is true. But this aspect of being that Descartes had in that very short sentence, I think it's very much neglected. But it's a part that my lab and many others are working on, trying to link it to something more elementary, something more basic, something closer to everyday experience. And that is how our brain our mind represents our body in an ongoing, continuous fashion. How do I feel? Which position are my limbs in? What's my breathing doing? And we're monitoring this at the fringes of conscious perception. But those sensations can be brought into consciousness. And so this bodily self is something that we are particularly interested in. And one of the the research papers, just to make the link back to to I Think Therefore I Am, we've called it in a paper that we published, we called it Video Ergosome. So there's the being component, but we wanted to link the self-consciousness or the being to something non-cognitive. And actually that's what the project shows using virtual reality. There is a video component, so perceptual seeing, that we linked to touch sensations. And when you do this in particular ways, you can induce very particular changes of the zoom of the being. And the second part was, that's the video, is not just seeing It was also the technology we used, virtual reality technology, which was sort of the second component in there. But it's really these two selves. It's the cognitive self. You can link it to Descartes. And then there's the perceptual bodily self, which is a more minimal, essential form of self, which is the feeling of the self here and now.
0: So, in this area where neuroscience intersects with a sense of your physical body, you talk about self-consciousness. Now, in everyday language, people may think of self-consciousness as being overly shy or more aware of one's own behaviour, but that's not what you're talking about, is it? What do you mean when you talk about self-consciousness? Most
1: people will probably be familiar with phantom limb sensations. So these are very unfortunate events where somebody would lose a limb in an accident. It can be a motorbike accident. And then the arm is lost, but the perception that the arm still persists and that this is not a random arm, that it is my arm, is still there. So the phantom limb, although initially was not well understood, I think is now very well understood. And we're working with similar mechanisms, but that are ongoing all the time, because the same mechanism that is involved and very apparent and sometimes irritating with phantom limbs is active in you right now, in me right now, and it generates, if you want, a phantom body representation, the me, the self, overlapping with my body here, right now. And uh, to give you an example, to see how you can investigate this, and that's the neuroscientific part, what we have looked at is, if you take the example of my hand, I can see this hand. I can move this hand. I can make a sound with this hand, and I could touch the hand, and I feel the position. So these are five different hands from the point of view of my brain. It's five different brain regions as well. So what work in the neurosciences have shown that it's not those five different regions, but it's the communication between these regions and regions who are specialized to mediate between these senses to create not Olaf Blanke has five left hands, but he has one and it is mine. And we have something similar for our body as a whole. And it's this global, entire body representation, which is the, the video-ergo-zoom part. It's the part that we opposed towards Descartes. Descartes was right with this cognitive self, but there is this other self, which we believe in recent work shows is much more relevant for conscious self-awareness. Not just knowing about the self, but feeling the self and creating the self.
0: Okay, let's recap here because what Olaf is talking about is both complex and quite mind-blowing. For Olaf, self-consciousness is where neuroscience intersects with a sense of your own physical body. The video ergo sum, the integration of two worlds that he's already described. Let me expand on that a little more. As you go about your day-to-day life, you have a sense of yourself and your own body. And actually what Olaf is saying is that your experience of living in your own body is really a construct from your brain. From a neuroscience perspective, all the different senses, touch, sight, smell, hearing, they all come together to create this perception that you are living in your own body and that your body is in a certain place at any one time. But. The processes that take place in your brain in order to make all this happen can be disrupted, which can then cause experiences like phantom limb sensations and out-of-body experiences. And it's possible for your sense of your body to be deliberately changed in this and other ways if you're subjected to the right stimuli. Coming up, you'll hear how Olaf and his team have been able to take insights from this knowledge to change one's consciousness in a way that's beneficial for your well-being, especially when it comes to meditation. But let's get back to the consciousness of the bodily self, the self-consciousness that I talked about just now. And as you'll hear, there's a link between phantom limb sensation and what we know of as out-of-body experiences too. For Olaf, these two things are both on the same continuum.
1: So the out-of-body experience, I think, directly links to what we have been talking about before. Remember those five hand representations or five body representations as a whole of me sitting in this room right now. This is something that the brain continuously has to generate, that this is my body and this self-attributed body is at a particular place in space, in this room. But like with the example of the five hands, it's surprising actually why it doesn't fail more often, right? How can I not have sensations that my hurt hand is somewhere else than my felt hand? So what we have been able to show over time is that out-of-body experiences are a very brief breakdown or dissociation among some of these body representations in space. So you would, for example, from your brain's point of view now, your brain would see body at a different place than where it is felt you can do this uh, and you can induce those phenomena under control condition also in the research lab using virtual reality and some robotic techniques but what is really happening in an out-of-body experience that your center of awareness is not located within your bodily boundaries but at another position which the brain has generated which we may call an error let's say, for a short moment, but the brain is not able to integrate those two representations into a single conscious representation. If you want, you have two conscious representations of the self, hence the term out-of-body. Normally, you would have everything congruently indicating, in conscious experience, one body position, and the self is at the same position. What happens in an out-of-body experience is there's this dissociation, this disconnect. So these two areas, if you want, are always communicating, are always integrated. But under some brief moments, there is a miscommunication. It can also be linked to synesthesia, right? It can also be linked to perceiving the body not where it should be, but where it could be from the brain's point of view. Because the other location where the self is located is, in these instances, very often under the ceiling, for example. Some people have the experience of looking down and seeing their body at a different position in space. These are very strong experiences. They're also very positive experience. I think that's quite interesting because one could easily think, oh, there's a mismatch, there's a dissociation. It should be negative and associated with fear, but that's very often not the case. And I think almost in all cases, if one gains control and induce these states by meditation, by other practices, it's a deeply positive state to create this distance between the self as the observer and the body where lifelong experience have taught me they should be at the same position. But from the brain's point of view, that does not need to be the case. And this distance between the I and the me, between the self and the body, can be and is very often a very positive and also deep experience, very much making you think. After the conscious experience, after this bodily self experience, it may also come with consequences for the cognitive self. Who am I? What am I doing here? And what does this experience mean for me and my life, uh, a
0: picture? How could having an out-of-body experience help people deal with stress and mental health problems?
1: So first of all, out-of-body experience are relatively frequent. It's like, I think up to five to 10% of the general population will have them once or twice in a lifetime. But what very often happens in a positive way, I gave the example of pain just before chronic pain, but if people are in the out-of-body mental state, they feel less pain. They suffer less from their pain because there is this experience distance from me versus my body. And I think in that sense, the the term out-of-body experience is very interesting for us because the out-of-body experience can be compared with our daily inside body experience, which is something that the brain is generating and has to generate. We could argue, well, where else should it be, right, than in my body, but it's an active brain process. And so what our technologies are working with is to create a resonance between this inside and outside body experience and giving people a leverage to really learn how to use that, again, through this bodily online stimulation that we provide so that it can be used in a positive, uh, rewarding way, mentally and, and physically.
0: So, Olaf, you can help people experience consciousness outside their own body. And this has given you insights into how to increase the efficacy of meditation, hasn't it? I'm not talking about the virtual reality aspect of your work here, but certainly that of the human touch technology. Tell me about that.
1: Some of the experiments I described Are complex so we're using technology but even then you have to adapt and these experiments are long at the same time if you do meditation some of my friends and colleagues they have been on retreats for several days for several weeks some for years so not everybody is able to do that and the situation you you the example you gave is is of course most people don't have the possibility to take that time to follow long-term traditional contemplative practices and so What we teamed up with based on these insights is bring technology like we do, robotics, haptics, human touch technologies, virtual reality, not necessarily to the lab where everything is controlled, but try to go a step further and merge two things. These technologies based on neuroscience and try to merge this with experience from the well-being, wellness, and meditation field, which is also, in my opinion, a consciousness approach almost a consciousness technology think about a massage think about a mindfulness session with breathing body scanning there is some technology involved in some interaction and very often the body is key not just very often that's an understatement the body is always massively involved in most forms of meditation maybe not as the focus of attention but you're sitting in a particular posture You may have your legs crossed. You may have your arms crossed. You may focus on your breathing. So there is a lot of bodily stimuli. And some of these are essential for the kind of conscious bodily self I've talked about. So what we're trying to do is to bring technology that is not just linked to the body, but that is linked to the brain's body representation. So we're not just making them fit to a fingertip or to the head. We're making them fit in a way that those brain systems for the bodily self are directly accessed and trained. And the hope is that, giving the importance of the cognitive self, very often criticized that we have to disassociate from the cognitive self and live the moment here and now, which is focus on the bodily self, that our technology allows to access more directly and in a supportive way classical meditation practices. So what this means is that what we'll propose is that, of course, you still need to learn how to use that technology, but the technology still that we're developing with metaphysics uh, in this particular case can be adapted to many work environments. It can be done in the work environment, it could be in a hospital, in a clinic, it could be at home, and we go through the sense of touch.
0: Paint me a picture of this technology in a real everyday setting olaf what does this technology look like
1: so still is the first product that with metaphysics we have designed and you are sitting in a chair can be any kind of chair comfortable chair you'll have to take off your shoes take off your socks and you put them on something we call a haptic device and we went through the feet because it's an easily exposed part of the skin because the device that we have can do three things it can give you a mechanical stimulation if you want a massage-like pattern under the feet and it can also give you temperature and given the importance of water in well-being wellness and meditation we have several scenarios now where the simulation of water and wetness and wave-like stimulation under your feet can be integrated with a soundscape, which is nothing than a recording that you may take on your favorite beach or something you download from the internet. And then those two scapes, a soundscape, which we're more familiar with, but also a tactile human touch scape under the foot can be completely integrated. And this is not to bombard you yet with more information that you may want to disconnect from, but this is to immerse you without vision in a certain environment to then start your meditation. So it takes you really out of the current environment in a programmable fashion, meaning personalizable OC. So you choose, you decide, you can also vary this. And then you can have on top of this different kind of verbal guidances for meditation. So this can be sessions, very short sessions. And it allows many of the people who have used this by now to go more quickly into more deeper and more rewarding states of meditation.
0: And... What, what's the most optimal environment for this technology to be used in?
1: So it's, it's less portable than your typical app, but it can be adapted very flexible to many scenarios. So it could be in, in the bed, it could be in, in, a, in a small office chair, it could be in a comfortable massage chair. It can really be adapted to many ways, and we're actually very actively pursuing this, even integrating uh, the still device, for example, in a massage chair. Uh, scenario. So, so it could be in a car seat. It could be in a plane seat. It can be in many of these scenarios. I think a sitting position, because you would have the possibility to have it under your feet. Something we're keenly interested in, but it's too early to say. Is that it will maybe eventually become a textile that you can wear for this there's a simple demonstration we have where you can have something around your forearm already where you know this can also be applied so it's a very flexible technology and normally when people hear haptics and robotics i should maybe also say this is very soft technology so this is a silicon based water based robotic system so the term robotics we think about metal and things and plastic and things like that so this is silicon very human like touch-like, pleasant materials to interact with.
0: Thank you for listening to Health to Wealth from Accor. This podcast is supported by Technogym, a brand that's all about helping you improve your lifestyle and your performance. 30 years ago, Technogym defined wellness as a lifestyle, including regular exercise, healthy nutrition and a positive mental approach. They develop products and technologies to make exercise more inclusive and effective for everyone. They're at the cutting edge of high performance technology and on a mission to improve your health and the health of the planet through the spirit of Technogym. What's happening on the inside of me, in my brain, Olaf, while this is going on? The key
1: advantage is really to bring a a modality, touch, which has been completely neglected so far. Most of the meditation applications that you find will focus very much on sound, on music, but they're not integrated with this bodily self system that I mentioned in the beginning or brain representations. So instead of opening a book or opening yet another app, it's like entering sort of another room, another realm, really it's not an out-of-body experience what we discussed before but it has this transportive element but the transport is not the reason per se what we want to create is a first step to take you out where you are at the moment and get you there in a predictable way in a foreseeable way in a preferred way by each individual and then start your favorite kind of meditation in this other environment and on top of this of course the meditation Scenarios that we're developing are very much also based on the bodily self. So this dissociation and this learning that bodily experience and the here and now of me is a representation of the brain. So we also have very many meditation actively guided to this. And the sense of touch is really a key domain to achieve those changes. I would even go further and say the sense of touch has to be involved, including interoceptive representation, heartbeat And breathing, but in an integrated fashion during meditation. And our technology helps you, if you want, instead of taking 10, 20 minutes to get to these states for beginners, to get there much quicker, but also to make sure that the meditation stays interesting for you to learn and keep rising towards different levels.
0: And is it the human touch technology that you refer to as haptic? Is it that technology that is increasing the efficacy? of that meditation for the individual? It
1: changes, alters, increases the efficacy. You could call it also the depth of meditation. You can measure this. It could be the focus of attention. And we've also seen most recently that if you do the still-based meditation before a very short period of sleep, a nap at work, there were two main findings. So first of all, if you do a, a behavioral cognitive task afterwards on attention, your focused attention after the nap plus meditation was improved but we also found that some aspects of sleep the measured by EEG signals so the quality of sleep and there was less fracturing of sleep periods. so you have these deeper sleep phases and less deep phases of sleep and those transitions particularly during the day can switch very quickly as we all know but still meditation seems to prolong and seems to make the sleep pattern more coherent even for short periods of sleep. So that's yet another example of course the meditation itself, the impact on physiological sleep-wake cycle related aspects, cognitive processing and of course there are several medical fields where this could potentially also be applied. But if we're talking about integrating the bodily self and the self-conscious experience and very particular signals, which involve not just the sense of touch, but related to the sense of touch, body posture, body position. There is also a human-to-human touch, effective touch, which is very important. So this is a very rich sense. And for the bodily self, this is the key system. So whereas any kind of app can bring you sound, can bring you more visual information, connecting you with more stuff out there, what we argue is that our technology connects you more with your being here and what creates your daily bodily self here and now. And so, this is really based on, on many years of research to now have something, a single device that can stimulate and integrate those different senses to really go deeply and more efficacious, if, if you want, towards these states, which I think are much more rewarding in forms of meditation and well being, these deep self-related states. But of course, this sounds as if it's a very cognitive enterprise, but the same device can also be used for a massage under the feet, for example, or it can give you the feeling to be immersed in water. It is a very flexible device because haptics controls, again, several human sense of touch uh, modalities, including warmth, cold, vibrations, mechanical stimulations. And they're all integrated. You have to imagine a small computer generating this. And if you want, also integrated in time-wise fashion with what you hear at the same time. Could be music, could be sound waves.
0: It's an absolute game changer to hear that the learnings Olaf has taken from his work with human touch technology can be applied to meditation as well. The benefits of meditation are well known, but the practice of it isn't necessarily that accessible. For example, you need time and you need commitment to establish a truly effective meditation practice. And not everyone has that time. So to have the ability to access deep meditation in the space of just 15 minutes with all the benefits that that brings could be a watershed moment for well-being. Let's recap how it all works. You have your feet on a device that could simply give you a massage or it could be used with sound as well in order to help you attain a deeper state of relaxation and meditation much more quickly. For example, the device can make you feel like you're standing on a beach. You feel like your feet are touching the water and you can hear the sound of the waves. It can be used in other ways too, depending on the type of meditation experience you would like to have. So far, you've mainly heard about the impact of human touch technology. But for Olaf, as you're going to hear, different sound waves can have a huge impact on your experience too.
1: Sound is about perceiving things out there. But there are bodily sounds that we are, for example, very interested in. So my breathing or my heartbeat my bodily movements, my footsteps, if I were to be walking, right? So these are also important visual, and of course I can can look at my body, but auditory parts of the body, but they are, tend to be neglected. Actually, our brain doesn't pay attention to them because my footsteps are always there. Whenever I'm walking or when I'm moving my hands, it's always there. So the brain has learned to forget them because why should it care about stuff that's always there? But what our technologies do and allowed to elevate very quickly into awareness is to become aware of these automaticities. And again, you will need human touch technology to make people become aware of this in order to realize deeper states of of the here and now. And this is very closely linked, in our opinion, to the sense of bodily self.
0: Well, it sounds very, very appealing, the way you describe it. What would the advantages be, Olaf, of using these neuroscience technologies in a, in a very high pressure work environment? What would the advantages be?
1: Yeah, I think several examples. I think technology has the advantage that you go from one room to the other room, you would have the device there and either by yourself or with other people. You can do your favorite meditation right then, right there. If you don't feel like meditation, if you feel on that same device that you're used to, you feel like having a massage or immerse mentally your feet into warm water, you can also do that with the same device. So it's the flexibility of the device in terms of content, in terms of having bodily content, which is so important for meditation and well-being. Think about a massage. We couldn't imagine a massage without the body being there, right? So the body is an integral part, and it's the learning and the training in interesting conditions that avoid bombarding you yet with more stimuli that you're trying to get away from. And of course, last part, the third part, really, to focus on the self. If you're at a workplace, you may be worrying what your neighboring colleague is thinking about you today, so you're bombarded with the cognitive self, I think, particularly in those environments. We all are, or society is. But this is a way to step into your bodily self here and now in a predictable way, in a personalized way, right next door. And as we've talked about before, still in metaphysics then opens yet another door in the mind, if you want, uh, to explore other places.
0: And Olaf, if I were a CEO of a you know large corporate company, why would I invest in having your technology in a room or several rooms to provide that to my very pressured stressed team? What would be the advantages to my business in doing that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it could really motivate people to come back, right? Think about the pandemic and people and teleworking. This is something where your body needs to be there. There are certain things that you get in the office in this way. And that people may want to have and may want to come to the office and share the experience and and really be there again at work, depending on the job. Of course, performance, I'm not going to promise a miracle here, right? Two times on on this device will not change it. But there is something, and it's not the addictive potential of many of the other internet-based things that I'm talking about. There's something that we believe that people can discover, not about the technology, but about themselves and about their relationships with other people, where this haptic technology, I think, is key. And this, a strong self, a robust self, learning how to separate these different aspects, I think is key for functioning in a company with many levels, with many hierarchical levels, where you have to be flexible and you have to have a solid self-representation, right, to advance and to be productive. So I think for productivity in the longer term, I think the potential is tremendous. And I think we're scratching the surface because there could be smaller versions of the technology that you take home. There are certain things that you only would find at the workplace. And of course, there are many workplaces. There's the office, there's the hotel, there's the hospital, burnout of nursing staff, burnout of doctors working overnight. So you can take this to many contexts, right, where I think this approach, again, focusing on the self, will be very powerful. Not in one or two nights or one or two days, but in a learned, well-integrated fashion at the workplace.
0: And Olaf, what attracted you to working in this area where neuroscience intersects with a sense of physical body, consciousness, out-of-body experience? What drew you in initially?
1: I do remember from my medical studies that there was a lecture series inviting speakers from many places, mind, brain and artificial intelligence. And many of the talks went on consciousness. And I had kind of the, the moment there, oh, this is really something I want to do. I just didn't know how. And then doing a PhD, I also worked on these consciousness studies. So I can't really tell you a cognitive reason why. It's almost like it was an experience for me to realize and leading to cognitive insight. Yes, that's really what I'm deeply interested in. So for me, it is also probably there a, is a bias that I followed an in intuition and a feeling. And then working initially as as a neurologist, you know, that was what I was interested in. If somebody had a change in consciousness, very often, of course, it's an alteration of consciousness in the clinic. But very often... And when you look more closely the border, there is no strict line between what's happening in the clinic and outside. But yeah, it was really from the beginning, even my studies, that I had a feeling that this is something I wanted to do.
0: And Olaf, what's the one message you want people to take away about the importance of this technology for our future well-being?
1: I think it's very important to integrate contemplative uh, scholarship with these new technologies we should not throw overboard obviously and that's never the goal of what these practices have developed but in order to work and bring to this enterprise more people who stay connected to reach good positive states for society for enterprises and and also for research i think we do need other kinds of technologies, some of the kinds that I've discussed with you, Annie, today about haptics and bringing the body into the picture to really focus on the here and now.
0: Olaf, the work you're doing is mind-blowing in its vision and its intention for societal impact. I can't wait to see the revolutionary products you and your team are going to bring to the world. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Health to Wealth, a series brought to you by Accor. Next time, what have we learned from Health to Wealth? Emlyn Brown, Accor's Global Vice President for Wellbeing, joins you to examine and expand on some of the key insights from this series. Please rate, review and follow Health to Wealth. You can find out more at healthtowealthbyaccor.com.